Welcome to Places, everyone. I'm Lonnie Firestone. This episode was recorded live at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan on October 9th, 2023. It's a conversation with creative and cast members of the Broadway musical Harmony. They include book writer and lyricist Bruce Sussman and performers Chip Zion, Julie Banco, Sierra Bogus, and Danny Kornfeld. The event took place just two days after the October 7th Hamas attacks in Israel, and the feeling the day of the event was incredibly raw and mournful. And yet, it was meaningful to come together as a community to talk about the power of stories. Stories are what connect us and heal us. After the urgent needs are met, after safety measures are in place, after survival is assured, what we need most is to share our stories and hear others. Theater is, in my view, the most alive of all storytelling, because the storytellers share the same air and physical space as the audience. The narrative of Harmony is set in the 1920s and 30s in Germany, a deeply unsettling time in history. And still, the central characters found harmony, not only in the melodic sense, but also as a diverse people coming together in partnership. It's an inspiring idea for us all to seek ways to live harmoniously with others. After all, harmony occurs when different sounds blend together. I hope you enjoy the following interview, and please check out the episode notes for links to two songs from the cast recording of Harmony. It's an honor to have storytellers who can help process stories of yesteryear and make sense of them for today's audience. And I'm grateful to share the evening with the storytellers we have here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I want to start with a question for Danny and then open it to the group. There's a classic storytelling device in which a character lives in a particular place. And as that place changes, questions whether it's still home. This is such a Jewish structure. It is the structure of great theatrical works that you know. Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, Leopoldstadt, to name a few. Danny, your character, affectionately known as Rabbi, has already left his hometown of Poland when the show begins. He has already fled. What is he hoping this new country of his will be? What is he hoping to make of it as someone with a strong Jewish identity? Yeah, I think Jews, unfortunately, are always in search of a place for peace and a feeling of safety and a feeling of belonging. And I know Rabbi, he leaves Poland when he's 19. It's during the pogroms. And it's actually his father who is an Orthodox Jew, but Rabbi's quoted for saying that he had very modern values. Not quite <laughs> sure what that means. But he was the one to say, go to Berlin. That's where the culture is. And if I were to get inside his head, my interpretation of that is like anywhere that there is culture and there is art tends to be a more accepting mm -hmm. place. And I think Rabbi really believed that like this was the best place for him to go. Berlin at the time, and it still is, it's the epicenter of culture in, in Europe. 
And I think he really saw the promise for a better life while still also getting to fulfill his love of art. And there's a great little story. He gets to Berlin and he's auditioning for the National Theater for the very first time. And he sings for them. And he doesn't sing a German. I don't know if he doesn't know the language, but he doesn't sing in German. And he sings in Hebrew. And they ask him afterwards, they were like, what is that? And he was scared to tell them that he was Jewish and that it was Hebrew, so he said that it was Chinese. <laughs> yeah, but he, uh, he got the job. <laughs> yeah. That inspired the moment in our show where you audition, and we decided it should be in Hebrew. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And so from an author perspective, Bruce, you're writing about this period when the Weimar Republic is transitioning into mm -hmm. the Third Reich. Yes. When we think about Jewish history, we tend to go straight to the Third Reich. Right. And don't necessarily think about these muddy years in between. It's the greatest challenge, I think, for our audience when they come to see this show, because they know so much more than the characters in our play know. Mm. They know everything that's happened. Our characters know nothing that's about to happen. Mm. Mary is the most prescient of them. She's the one who sees the most, but even she doesn't know because she agrees to go home mm -hmm. uh, in the final scene of Act One. And that's a thing that we have to constantly be mindful of. And one of the first conversations I always have with a director who comes on board is, please make sure they don't play the second act in the first act. Uh -huh. That they don't know what what's waiting for them in the second act. It's the biggest challenge. And Warren's right on top of that. I didn't even need to tell him that. He knew that. Every once in a while, we have to remind people, you see it in rehearsals, you don't know what's happening in scene three of act two. We're in scene six of act one. And it is a challenge, but the audience is way ahead of us. So it's very hard to go back. The impression is, oh, the Third Reich, why didn't they just go home? They didn't know. You know that. They didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And Sierra, where are you environmentally in the play when the, when the show begins? Well, I'm piggybacking off of what Bruce said, which is I'm a non-Jewish character until I convert to marry the love of my life. And her best friend is Ruth. And it's interesting because she's the one who's worried. And Ruth is not worried, and he is not worried. He dismisses it. He's like, pogroms were much worse. Right. Don't worry. You know, there's a Nazi in the house. And he's like, it's fine. And she says to me, it's Germany, not Poland. It'll never be like that. And I spend the first act, it's like I'm the only one allowed to be worried. <laughs> it's like, because I see, and I think just as I've been playing her for some time now, and, and just realizing that it's my job as Mary to hold space for my Jewish loves and for the Jewish people in the show that is sometimes you can see more when you're not the one being persecuted. Mm -hmm. And because she is, and in the show she's blonde, she looks German and Aryan and all that. And so I know as Mary, I could walk out and be safe, but I know my husband can't and I know my best friend can't. Mm -hmm. And my husband is also Chip. <laughs> <laughs> he was my father and should have been you, now he's my husband. We have a very complicated relationship. <laughs> a it's yeah. not quite a spoiler. We it's know. modern, it's 2023 is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Chip, on that note, yeah. I was remembering a show that you did a decade ago in thinking about your role in this musical, and that was The 27th Man. 
by Nathan Englander, which was based on Englander's short story of the same title. It was an a really, incredible... A really brilliant short story. But incredible story have, and an excellent play. It's part of his first collection of stories. And there's really some interesting linkages between that show and this show that in terms well, of achieving excellence in a field. In that one, it is Yiddish literature, here, music. How do you think about that well, work I, now? Well, I guess I, I was trying... I was thinking about this. They both reference two mass murdering leaders of two different countries, mm -hmm. Stalin and Hitler. And it's also, there's an, the night of the murdered poets was an, an episode. The, the 27th Man is about, there was an incident in Russia, in Stalinist Russia, where Stalin murdered Jewish intellectuals, Yiddish speaking primarily poets, intellectuals, writers. He imprisoned them, he rounded them up, and then killed them. The 27th Man is about the darkest show that you could possibly imagine. So while I think Hitler and Stalin have a lot in common, mm -hmm. I think our show and the 27th Man have almost nothing in common, mm -hmm. except that they both are in turbulent moments in history. Mm -hmm. Harmony is a, a happy group of six guys who sing. And uh, <laughs> while it does touch on things that, as Bruce is saying, we're kind of before mm -hmm. the worst things happen, the unspeakable happens. So mm -hmm. I don't think they have much in common, but it was interesting to be a part of both of them. And it's been interesting to be in both shows. Well, I think that because they both represent excellence in a particular field in the arts, literature, and both under threat and involving their Jewish identity. But what I think is so distinct about Harmony is we have the privilege of seeing you look at that story in retrospect. And we don't wonder if you made it out. We know. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, my character carries a lot of guilt for not having done something that he believes that might quite possibly have altered the course of history. But I also think have a revelation at the end of the play after I get to revisit my <laughs> old friends about the joy that we spent together in our brief career mm -hmm. and the good times that we had. And also I think we kind of have to learn to uh, resist fascism in any form that it comes. And I think the, the people of uh, Rabbi B, our advisor, had that great line yeah. about we had too much hope. Berkowitz. Yeah, Berkowitz. Dr. Berkowitz. Berkowitz. Rabbi, yeah, too, too much hope, too little that, that, that sadly, and pre-sort of Hitler leading up to that whole horrible chapter of mm -hmm. world history, that we had too much hope and not enough fear. Yeah. Hmm. He, he said, I think, yeah. and was, I never thought of it this way, he said the optimists stayed, the pessimists left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have here in Harmony, it's partially, it's about showbiz. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the conceits of Harmony was, I don't want to give too much away, but at the end of the first act, one of the characters whose nickname is Lesh is reading telegrams uh, on their glorious success at Carnegie Hall that evening. And he says, he's reading to uh, Fanny Bryce and Will Rogers and Gypsy Rose Lee yeah. and so on. He's reading all the Marlena things. Dietrich. Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> and what the author is doing there is saying, these are all people about whom Golden Age musicals were written. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the first act of our show was intended by Barry and me to be the golden age musical that would have been written about the comedian harmonist mm -hmm. at the events of the second act not occurred. Mm. That was always our concept for the piece. So to speak to Chip's point, the first act is a party mm -hmm. until we hit a brick wall. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to get into some of the themes around the song Where You Go, which will be our first of two 
performances this evening. In the show, there's a character, Ruth, played by Julie, whose name has some imaginative artistic choice behind mm -hmm. it. Where you go, you might recognize as a line from the book of Ruth. And it's a pivotal moment where Ruth clings to Naomi and converts to Judaism, becomes part of the Jewish community, and emphasizes her faith in connection to someone she loves so deeply. Bruce, can you talk about the inspiration behind the name choice and the allusion to biblical happily, Ruth? Happily, because it's a, a favorite story of mine about the uh, genesis of this show. I normally like to come at things from the inside out, but here's the case where I came from the outside in. My upstairs neighbor is a survivor, and her name is Ruth Zimbler. She's 95 years old, God bless her. She has been along the journey one of my muses, and I would go to her. She was a Viennese Jew, I lived in Leopoldstadt, and I picked her brain over the course of many years. So anyway, in this show, I had a problem that all of the harmonists had wives, except Bobby. And I needed to decide which wives am I including. The first draft, I included all of them, and you needed a scorecard to get through the script. <laughs> so then I said, I can't do that. And Chopin was particularly one of the characters nicknamed Chopin because he was married twice. And before he got married, had a very interesting relationship with a Jewish activist woman. We haven't even discussed this, no. actually. <laughs> I'm learning. And, and, uh, <laughs> and so I took those three women and I created one character. Mm -hmm. So since I was creating a character, I said, I have to come up with a fictional name. And I'm literally sitting at my desk, rocking and looking <laughs> up and going, Ruth lives one flight up, right above me. I'm 15C, she's 16C. <laughs> Ruth! <laughs> and that instantly led me to the Book of Ruth. And then I realized, whoa, the Book of Ruth also speaks to Mary, because she's the one who converts. Mm -hmm. And I had myself a scene and a song. And it happened literally within 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. wow. it, it was the most truly, you know, I don't much care for the romance of the writing process, <laughs> but it was a romantic, inspirational moment. Mm -hmm. And I thank her, and I thank whatever forces it were that led me to it, but the whole nine yards came all at once. Now, fast forward, when I wrote this back in 1843, <laughs> I knew Ruth, I knew the first wife who was Jewish, Ursula. I knew her name, and I knew the name of the girlfriend that he didn't marry. I don't I, know her name, and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. Uh, well, well, well done. <laughs> and, but I didn't know the name of the second wife. I now know her name was Ruth. What? Wow. Which is crazy, wow. because... Ursula is not a Jewish name, mm -mm. and Ruth is, and it's the exact reverse. Right. Ursula well, was the Ursula Jewish was wife, Jew. and Ruth was the Gentile wife. Wow. Yeah. So Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and I found Ursula's daughter right. and interviewed her about Ursula. Wow. She left a comment on the New York Times review of the off-Broadway production of Harmony. Mm -hmm. A very and, good review. Yeah, a very good yeah. review. Yeah. And said, New York Times critics pick. Yeah, and she yeah. said, yeah. She said uh, <laughs> my mother was represented in this piece, and I wish it all the best, mm. you know? And she hadn't oh. seen, she saw it, I think, in LA, but she, had, she didn't see the off-Broadway production, and I wrote to her, I'm like a spy online, <laughs> and I found her email, and I asked all these kinds of questions, and she answered everything she could about her mother. But what I did find out was, like, her mother never talked about the past, never wanted to. Mm. Mm. So she didn't know that much. Mm. She couldn't tell me that much. Mm. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So I would like to introduce Julie and Sierra, who will sing Where You Go. Yep. 
This song takes place in our second act and in adjacent hotel rooms in Cologne. And in one room, Mary, played by Sierra, is in a relationship that is forging and sealing their bond forever. And in the other room, Ruth, played by Julie Benko, is in a relationship whose fabric is being torn apart. And it starts in Mary's room, where her husband breaks the news to her that the group is thinking of splitting up, and it means the Jewish members fleeing. And because they don't have passports, they've been taken away by the Third Reich. It's dangerous. If they got caught, there's great peril. And he's not entirely comfortable asking her to give up everything she knows except him and put herself in that danger. And incongruously, or seemingly incongruously, she says, where's your Bible? And he gives her his Old Testament, and she turns to the book of Ruth, and she reads, Entreat me not to leave you, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. Where you go. scared but together with you I'm prepared We acknowledge Peter Lee Nielsen at the piano please Incredible, thank you The first time I heard that song performed, I had an auditory realization that in the opening phrase, there's an interval that is similar to the Kol Nidre that we just heard two weeks ago mm -hmm. on Yom Kippur. If you'll allow me to poorly sing <laughs> two, two notes, when we hear, I will go and we're hearing something evocative in that minor second, mm -hmm. which I'm going to posit is the most Jewish interval in all of music. It certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> it, it certainly is. I wanted to hear your thoughts, Sierra and Julie, on the multitudes of this song. Mm. It's a song about devotion and the ability to cling, even though it's painful, like, like in the biblical Ruth. And yet it has that haunting interval that tells us there's something tense happening in place. Mm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, I love all of what you just said. Mm. That's just focusing on the music for a second, I think is, it's vital. But you know, we've talked a bit about our show and we're before all the horrors and the, the audience knows the unspeakable things that happen. But our show is, at its core, hopeful. And we do highlight, in the face of all of what is happening, these six men come together and make music and make harmony. And in this song, there is hope, especially in our, obviously I can speak of where we're at with my husband, that is, I, as Mary, as we've talked about, know, not like we know, but have an idea that it's going to be 
more than tricky, but that with you, I'm prepared. Mm -hmm. And I took these vows because we are one and I am with you. And whatever happens, we face this together. And that's a universal, I think, message. Whether you come and identify with this love relationship or this love relationship or six dudes creating harmony together, it's like there is hope. And that is what I think also sets our show apart is that there is hope. And that's for sure what's important to draw out of this, especially in our verse, because it is, this song is in a minor key. <laughs> and it's slow. And it's slow. <laughs> but Yeah, amazing. And Julie, where does your storyline within this song find similarity and divergence from Mary's? Well... What I think some people pick up on in this song is that they say, it sounds like that Chopin song. And it is based on the Chopin prelude in E minor. And my husband's nickname is Chopin. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I sing this melody to him is that it's in a language he can understand. Mm. And that he's a composer and he understands the world through music. So I have to speak to him in a language he can get. And our characters are fighting a lot in act two. He's not Jewish, I am, and he's not standing up to the Nazi regime in a way that I think one spouse should. And he's really just kind of going along and trying to play both sides, and he's not being the man that he promised he would be in Act One when he vows to be beside me forever. And it's not literal, where you go, I will go, but I think about when you marry someone, when you stand up in front of people and you vow to be with them forever, the way that they change you forever and you go even when the relationship is done, they stay with you forever. And he stays with me and I stay with him even though we are going our separate ways in this scene. And I think that it's also a way of Ruth discovering that he's taught her by being the other who she is in a way. And so I think when you break up, sometimes it's a, you've gotten more of seeing who you are from that relationship and that just because you're not staying together doesn't mean you haven't gotten something out of it. So that's kind of how I approach it, especially because where you go is not where I will go literally, but mm. I will haunt him forever and mm. he will live with this decision he's made or really the decision that I make because he won't make it. So I think of this song and it has a lot to do with just how marriage relationships change you. And it's incredible to know the intentionality of using a Chopin piece as the mechanism, because when you're in a relationship, sometimes <laughs> you need to use the, the language <laughs> of the partner mm -hmm. that it will land with them. And it just shows that in a musical, so many decisions are so intentional that they might land on you emotionally and you don't even know why. Mm -hmm. Amazing. The show incorporates a notable amount of Hebrew, not in volume, but in specificity. There's the calling out to God in Hebrew. There's Hallel, which is an expression of praise in Jewish liturgy. There's the Shema. It's like the essential Jewish line of monotheism. And there's a line of spoken dialogue in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to how you want those lines to land on audience members who know the meaning? And what's the experience for those for whom it's fought a foreign language? I mean, that's what I think is so brilliant about Bruce's writing. It serves those who know and serves those who don't. 
And I, I don't want to give away what happens in the second act, but there is a beautiful line of Hebrew that is spoken and it is said first. And then someone asks, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then it's clarified. And the moment in which it is spoken and the way that it is expressed, it is truly one of the most beautiful moments I've ever experience as an actor in the moment, and I can only imagine what it's like for audiences. So I know I'm being vague, but I want you to be surprised. <laughs> the one line that I very much wanted everybody to know what it meant, I do. I have one of the characters say, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then we get the translation because it is a critical moment, but it's also a critical moment for the character saying it, and there's a revelation and so on. The other Hebrew in the piece, Danny sings in Hebrew for his audition. Pretty much everybody knows what that is, Shalom Aleichem, mm -hmm. peace be with you. There's Hebrew sung at the wedding, which is not explained, and I wish it were, because it's a great line. The translation is, God is on my side, what harm can man mm -hmm. do? Mm -hmm. Which, of course, is ironic in our play. Mm -hmm. And I wish there were a way, but there isn't. Mm -hmm. so, no one would translate it while praying it. Yeah. The other Hebrew, what's the other Hebrew? Oh, well, in Threnody, yeah, you have Adonai. Well, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, several I, times. I, I think some of it is there simply for the purpose of authenticity mm -hmm. and other times to dramatic effect, as in the one line that we're talking about at the, at the climax of this character's arc in the second act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Shema. Yeah, the oh, the Shema, yeah, the Shema, yes, of course. Yeah. We don't translate that, and if people don't know what it is, maybe they can ask a Jewish friend. But it is the core statement of Judaism. Mm -hmm. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the God is one. I think when I see shows that incorporate a language I don't know, I do appreciate when it's not dumbed down, for lack yes. of a better term, when it's kept at the level, and then it asks the audience to rise to it. Yes, mm. um, I agree. Light in the Piazza, that marvelous scene mm -hmm. that's in Italian. Mm -hmm. God bless them for doing that. It was inspiration, and it mm -hmm. was completely authentic, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another play we mentioned in the conversation, Parade, that was on Broadway stages last year, has a really jarring but poignant theme of Lucille Frank's sustained love for the American South, despite the terror that surrounds her and her husband, Leo Frank. And I'm so curious about the sustained love, if any, from the comedian harmonists and their partners mm. for Berlin as the place that birthed their creative partnership. Mm. How do you think they would see it and how do you see it as artists portraying them? Did Rabbi ever go back? Only to visit Harry. Right. He, he went back to, the founder of the group was Harry Frummerman, and Rabbi and he were probably the closest of the six. And he, he just called him up and he said, I want to see you again before I die. And he flew to Berlin and they had a reunion. But to my knowledge, that's the only time he right. went back. And Harry is the only one who went back. And I don't know if that was out of love or revenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He became a translator at the Nuremberg Trials. Yeah. Right, amazing. Yeah. Speaking off of what he just said, on a personal level, I spent two weeks in Berlin this summer in August as just prep for the show and to do a little bit of research. And I went to the circus and I was sitting there and I had this kind of profound moment of like, my grandparents are from Vienna, are from Europe. And my association of the place is so directly colored by 
the Holocaust. And that's immediately what I associate it with. And having this like kind of what I call a perfect day, the sun was out, it was incredible. I was like, there is so much part of myself that is actually attached to this land that I don't actually acknowledge or celebrate enough. And so it makes sense why these people would have such complicated relationships to the land. Rabbi came to America, stayed here and went back. Harry went back to Germany. And Bobby and Chopin stayed in Germany mm. and found themselves behind the Iron Curtain for most of their adult lives. And who am I leaving out? Lesh was, went to, uh, was deported to Bulgaria and spent the rest of his life in Bulgaria. I have one last question, and then we'll open it up to a few audience questions. My last question's about the title itself. Mm -hmm. In Harmony, there are so many sonic types of harmony, of course, that are exquisite. Mr. Manilaire did an unbelievable job of creating so many intricate types of harmonies. And there's also the figurative type mm -hmm. of the way these six individuals of diverse economic and religious backgrounds blended together very seamlessly and in spite of some conflicts. I think that when we think about the opposite of harmony, sometimes we think of discord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting to note that the opposite of harmony is also unison. Mm -hmm. Namely, everyone's identical. We're all singing at the exact same pitch, which is not harmonious either. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear each of your thoughts as we conclude about what you think are the essential ingredients of excellent harmony for you to interpret as you'd like. Yikes. Wow. <laughs> I'll start. I think it's celebration of the difference with a collective consensus of acceptance. That was a lot of big words. <laughs> I'm so hey, impressed I've, right now. I've never heard you say anything like that. And if we've been together, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm in a state I think what of shock. He's, yeah, what he said, for sure. Yeah, no, you I'm took totally... the words literally out of my mouth. <laughs> there were so many syllables. <laughs> When I was a kid, and I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and I sang in the Colorado Children's Chorale, and it was my favorite thing in the whole world because I was super tiny, and I was in that singing group for about four years of my childhood. And that's where I learned to sing harmony. And it was my favorite thing in the world to do, and it still is. And I mean, watching these six guys every day, I mean, it's like, I've seen it as much as Bruce sits and watches every day too, but it's like, you can't get enough of watching people singing in harmony. And on a visceral level as a musician, there's nothing better than singing in harmony. So my dad does a lot of community theater, but he doesn't like doing musicals because he finds singing to be hard. He will do the odd, like he played Herr Schultz in Cabaret, and like he, he did that. The pineapple song was like, mm -hmm. okay. But <laughs> the part that was really hard for him was harmony. And we did Fiddler together, and he was like, sunrise, sunset. He's like, sunrise, sunset. You know, he couldn't find his note. And he would always just say, well, I can do it by myself. I can find sing my line by myself. And then as soon as somebody else sings another line, I lose it. And so the act of singing in harmony requires you to listen and provide at the same time. I think that's part of why it requires you to be strong, but also take in. Because if you overpower or if you are singing out of tune, then other people have to come to you. They can't. So it just requires so much give and take. We're describing harmony. When I was really young, <laughs> it was quite a while ago, I, I was a boy soprano. 
And I sang a lot. Cantor Alshuler was our cantor where I grew up at Temple Emanuel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. Some of my greatest memories are just is being at my little synagogue in Milwaukee and singing with the cantor and singing like a boy soprano and then being really embarrassed about it when I went to school with my regular oh. friends. Yeah. Oh. I sang with other people occasionally, yeah. but sometimes I had to sing, you know, at the Christmas shows in my public school. And then I had trouble because I wasn't sure if I was supposed to name the important people of other religions in the songs. I love performing. I love singing harmony, <laughs> which is the name of our show. Shiv Zion, legend. There's a famous story about Fiddler that when <laughs> Jerome Robbins went to Bakkenharnik and said, what's the show about? And they said, well, it's about Tevye and his three daughters. And, and he said, no, 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 what's the show about? And they couldn't provide him with the answer he was looking for. And then finally, one day, Sheldon Harnick said, Jerry, I think the answer to your question is this is a show about tradition. And he said, that's the opening number you have to go home and write. Mm -hmm. And they did. I bring that up because whenever Barry and I are offered a show, people, you know, we were offered Tootsie and we were offered a couple other shows. We more often than not turn them down because we don't know what the show's about. Mm. And it has to be about something larger that we can sink our teeth into and write about. Getting to my point, when I saw the documentary about the comedian harmonists and I learned about them for the first time, the one thing I came out of there knowing right away was what this show was about. Mm -hmm. It was about the quest for harmony and what turned out to be the most discordant chapter in human history. Let me add it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. And also because Barry and I have been working together 51 years, we believe very strongly in the ability to collaborate. And harmony for me is a synonym for collaboration. Mm -hmm. That, and most people don't know how to collaborate. It's Hitler was a one man band. And he sang in unison, if he sang at all. Mm -hmm. So this thematically was right up our Tin Pan Alley. We wanted to write this piece precisely for the reasons you raise. Harmony was such a rich idea for us. But I think what's really brilliant is that in the opening song, every time you say harmony, all of that is contained. Yes. So there's one line, we had harmony, but that's just about all we had. Right. That means sonic harmony. Yeah. It means collaboration. Yeah. It means diversity where there's blending. Right. So all of those are contained within it. So I'm always knowing there's someone there. there. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. We have one last performance to close out the evening by Danny Kornfeld. But first, I just want to say thank you, Danny, Sierra, Bruce, Julie, Chip, for a great conversation. And thank you all so much for coming this evening. Yes. Well, we share a character. He's the younger version, which is kind of obvious. Our character, Rabbi, proposes to Sierra Bogus over here. And Sierra, unfortunately, says no, <laughs> which is shocking, given how pretty I was when I was young. <laughs> uh, Thanks, Chip. Anyway. She's concerned that she has some misgivings. She has some misgivings about uh, getting married, and, and she's afraid that this is, that what she's doing is going to be a horrible, horrible mistake, and Danny has to convince her that it's not. And Rabbi says, yeah. you're right. We could be making a terrible mistake, 
but it's not the one you're worried about. Every single day, we'll remember what we do today. Words we didn't say, we'll remember every single day. And years go by to wonder why and wonder what we learned. Was that the bridge we should have crossed? That one we burned every empty night to regret. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Places Everyone on iTunes or Spotify. And follow me, Lonnie Firestone, on Instagram. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time. Bye.